is the Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Another great weekend, and indeed, you've got the Sean Prue Show for the next hour with lots for you on the way. A comic is coming on to talk about his show at the Toronto Fringe Festival, where he shares his experience as a black man working in advertising and the arts. I can't wait for that. And I hate to break it to you, but we are in a recession, a friendship recession, that is. Uh, A new study says that a shocking one in five men do not have what one would consider a life essential in their lives. And we'll talk to an expert about why and the ramifications of that in a short while, because loneliness is not a good thing. And have you heard about rotational dating? It may sound like a Friday night with a possible painful twist, but it's a type of dating style that's out there right now that's empowering women everywhere who are looking for love. We'll find out about how that works a little later on on this episode of the Sean Prue Show. But to kick things off, let's have a drink together, shall we? One version of this drink is made with ingredients from coast to coast, scallops, lobster tail, homemade pickled beans. Mm. Another includes pineapple rum, fermented black garlic, and mango nectar with a bone marrow ice cube and torched nutmeg as a garnish. Maybe you'd like one featuring white tea from an emperor's private mountain garden with red pepper paste, mandarin, turmeric, and a secret black licorice root. Or maybe go for one featuring homemade sauces and pickled beans. Of course, I'm talking about Canada's beloved Caesar. Countless Caesars are being poured at brunches and lunches and breakfasts across the country this weekend. It is the weekend after all. And What I just described are all actually real Caesars. Those are the real ingredients in them, all very special Caesars, because they make up some of the finalists in a great new contest that we're going to tell you about. How would you like to help local bars win $25,000? What business couldn't use a $25,000 cash infusion? You can. And here to tell us more about how and WTF is going on is Cass Flavolo. She's the brand manager at Mott's Clamato, the company behind this big give. Hey, how are you, Cass? Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing nice. great. How are you? I'm good. I'm just marinating in all these different Caesars that stand a chance of winning a local bar 25 grand. Um, there's one that features ginger sauce, brown sauce, pims and tea. And another one features the bar's famous barbecue sauce along with prime rib. <laughs> That's a garnish. Uh, another one uses hot sauces and a diner as a garnish. Um, and then we've got one that features ingredients representing all of Canada, like Alberta beef, PEI lobster, Quebec cheese. There's one that's a tribute to Japanese culture, featuring sake and gin and uh, marinated ginger and nori. Um, and then there's a Cajun-flavored Caesar that has onions, bell pepper, celery, and is topped with a lobster roll <laughs> and smoked salmon garnish. I think I've now covered every Caesar in the competition, and I, I think I want one of each. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely have to try them out over the summer. Um, You can find all the recipes online. So feel free, watch the videos, make them at home. um, And you'll have to let me know what you think. What is the um, constant appeal of the Caesar? Why um, has it endured so long? Why is it so popular? Why are we even having a contest to find uh, the best Caesar in town? 
Yeah, I think there is a bunch of reasons to be honest with you, but first and foremost, what it comes down to is the Caesar is Canada's national cocktail. So there's a ton of Canadian pride behind the Caesar. It's a staple in this country. You know, if you go to the US or Europe and you try to order a Caesar, they'll either bring you a salad or look at you funny. Um, So I think that's what makes it really unique. Um, And the other great thing about it is it's extremely customizable. So there's really a recipe out there for every every Canadian, whether you like your cocktails more savory, spicy, sweet. um, There's something out there for you when it comes to the Caesar. And if there's not, you can make your own uh, with whatever ingredients you like. So um, I think, you know, those are definitely the reasons why it's, it's such a loved cocktail in this country. So for the past uh, 10 to 15 years, I believe, Mott's Clamato has run the best Caesar in town program. And, and it was about bartenders from coast to coast doing what has been done now, submitting their Caesar recipes for the chance to win prizes and bragging rights. But this past year, as we all know, has been so challenging for the industry. So you've evolved the program. Tell us a bit about that and how Canadians can choose the winner of all of the Caesars I just described. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly what you said, we've evolved the program this year to really give back to the bar and restaurant community. Um, So what we're doing is the winner of the best Caesar in town is actually going to win $25,000 this year to help revitalize their bar or restaurant. So it was really important for us to give back to an industry that's been so good to us over the years um, and an industry where the Caesar all started as well. Um, and a a new and different thing about the program this year is we're actually bringing in Canadians to help. Um, so you can head to our website right now, mozclamato.ca, watch the videos of the 10 finalists, and you can actually vote for who you think, uh, makes the best user in town and deserves a $25,000. That's a tough call. I know. I mean, it's definitely a tough decision. They're all great entries. Um, but we have until August 4th uh, to vote. So definitely head there if you haven't already and, and take part in, in selecting the finalists. You, you guys have whittled it down to the top 10, but you actually received an enormous amount of, um, of uh, nominations. Yeah, we had over a thousand nominations. So I think that just speaks to the fact that not only um, do we want to give back to the bar and restaurant community, but Canadians want to help as well. Um, so we were so happy to see all the participation and excitement from coast to coast. So I saw that um, you guys are also investing 165000 back into the industry. What what are you doing with that? How is that working? Yeah, so above and beyond that $25,000 that one of those lucky finalists is going to win, uh, we're also making a big donation to the Bartenders Benevolent Fund this year, which is a non-for-profit organization that helps um, staff in the hospitality industry through financial hardship um, and helps them get back on their feet a little bit. So um, we're making a donation to them this year and Canadians can also take part in that. So for every purchase of Mott's Clamato between now and August 4th, a portion of that purchase actually goes to the Bartender's Benevolent Fund donation. So you want to go, if you want to see the top 10 finalists, and you do, and, and then I've, I've watched the, re- the videos, the recipes are all on there, all the ingredients I described um, when we were opening up the show, go to mozclamato.ca backslash best Caesar, make sure you spell Caesar properly, and uh, see the 10 finalists and vote and give uh, a deserving local uh, bar pub $25,000. I'd buy shoes with that. What would you buy? <laughs> Oh my goodness. I don't know. Probably a pool or something. It's been, uh, it's been nice weather over the past couple of weeks. I could really use a pool in my backyard. 
what's coming down the pipe at Mott's? Yeah, so I mean, we're always uh, we always have new and exciting flavors for Canadians up our sleeves. We just launched uh, Mott's Clamato Sriracha, a premix uh, Caesar that you can buy right now in store. Um, we also recently came out with a new Mott's Clamato Reserve Caesar mix, which is made with natural ingredients, a more premium take on the classic Caesar. Um, and we have uh, a few things up our sleeves for the next year, next few years to come as well. So stay tuned for. You have a fun job. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Castavo is a brand manager at Mott's Clamato, the company behind this big give. Again, mottsclamato.ca backslash best Caesar. Still to come, let's rotate. We're going to find out what rotational dating is and how it's empowering women. And 15% of men are still suffer- or suffering a friendship recession, not a single close pal to be found. And up next, the comic sharing his experience working as a black man in advertising and the arts is on stage now. You've got the Sean Prue Show here on SiriusXM. Canada Talks Channel 167. Thank you, Cass. We'll be right back. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care. You were wonderfully made, marvelous, amorous, glorious, victorious. You have a purpose and a reason. You were perfect born for the season. You were wonderfully made. You have a purpose and a reason. You were perfectly formed for the the Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. He's one of the good ones, or so says the show's title. Comic Yawatua is on stage through July 31st here in Toronto at our renowned Toronto Fringe Festival, taking audiences through a personal journey growing up as a black man in Canada and the struggles he has faced in careers, not just in the arts, but at one time in advertising. Joining us now to give us a look into some of what audiences get to see is the man himself, Yao Atua. Welcome to the show, Yao. Oh, Sean, thanks for having me here. So you worked um, in advertising at one point. How long ago was it that you made the leap into the arts? I actually still work in advertising. I took a break for a while because I was pretty disheartened after one of my jobs, but uh, recently, with the pandemic and everything shutting down, uh, I got a really good opportunity, so I jumped back in. But uh, uh, I would say that I was—I've been doing comedy and storytelling for like four years, and then I was like full time last year. So I, I took all of 2019 off, and most of 2020 I wasn't working. Wow. Um, speaking of 2019, there's a census by Actra Toronto that found that nine percent of working actors are black, while 69 percent or white. White actors make up 43% more than BIPOC actors on Canadian television. And in advertising, it's worth 7% of people who work in advertising are in Canada are BIPOC and they're mostly in junior positions are in the ma- or in the management pipeline with no guarantee that they're going to move up the ladder. Um, these are grim statistics. And I bet you, you saw um, that in real life play out um, in, in your past experiences. Certainly. I was, when I was talking about like in advertising, I have a few friends that are senior, but we're talking about like growing up, like going up in uh, different agencies or client side, it would be so rare to see like someone that looked like you that was your boss, but looked at you that was like in the hiring pipeline. And if we did see them, it was like usually something like undeniable, like art director or in tech. It was never like any of the soft skills like your account directors or your strategies. So 
But for me, who was a social media strategist and then now creative strategist, it was really hard for me to be like, to find someone I connected with on that level. Like just kind of got the nuances of like what I was going through and like, you know, the, the, the subtle like uh, microaggressions that you may see from day to day. Like it's hard to like kind of talk that out when you're, you have to explain your, like who you are to someone and then like what you're feeling and then have them kind of accept it where you had a senior black executive. They're like, Oh no, I totally get it. Like I got your back. So, so it's a little grim. Um, Tell us what the toll is that um, is, is achieved when this is the day to day. What is, what is the toll on, on someone on you? Well, for me for a long time, it's, you're just not at ease. You can't really fully be yourself in a role. I was always afraid of like, what's going to happen next. When's the shoe going to drop? How much of a chance I'm going to get. I remember the first agency I worked at uh, and that boss I loved. Uh, if, if it wasn't for opportunities and more money at other agencies, I would have stayed with him forever. But like. Why? Tell us why. What was, was so the, special? He was just, he was just kind of a straight shooter. Uh, he was, you could tell that he had your back. Like I got, I, I was like not doing well with a client and he he kind of coached me up instead of like kind of giving up on me when the client was like, maybe we need someone else. It was like, no, no, we got this. And he just gave me the confidence that a mistake can happen and you can continue to do your job where other bosses have seemed like a mistake will happen. And that's a strike. And they will remind you, that you have a strike instead of like kind of coaching you through those soft skills that you just don't get unless you have that role. You don't have, you don't, you can't really learn in school how to communicate with a client or how to uh, handle different temperaments. You have to actually be in the position. And for some people, they get to, they get it. And some people get the benefit of the doubt that they're new uh, or they are, or a senior looks at them and they're like, you kind of remind me of me. So if you make mistakes, don't worry. I have your back where I didn't feel like I had that except for like mm. that first thoughts. Uh, and then the arts um, scene has, has had its fair share of challenges. And I don't know whether that surprises people listening or not. Um, did it surprise you? No, not in, not in the slightest. Uh, it's the art scene, at least with TV, uh, it's very prolific right now. It's especially now, but it was more prolific where people were talking about like who's on screen, who are these black leads on screen, who are these stories about. So you can see how the change starts from like what you see on screen. Uh, it doesn't trickle back into like the writers' room as we've heard with Kim Savines. Like most of the writers in that room were uh, right. like uh, so. Yes. In the again with that show. With, uh, with the stars come up the national and talking about the nuances there, you just like, yeah, you kind of you get why, but like at the same time, like you, the assumption is, hey, wouldn't they have more Asian writers there? I knew, I know two people who like got temporary writing room but didn't get promoted into like the full time writers room, and they're great writers, but it's weird that they just didn't get the same types and same chances. Um, weird is putting it politely, isn't it? Uh, so you decided to take these experiences in both those industries and put together uh your show one of the good ones what's your intention with this show i'm hoping 
one, people kind of listen to the intro of the show and uh, understand that it is just my story. Some people get something out of it, and like like totally will, will totally relate to it, and some people will go, "Oh, I understand what is coming," um, because it's very daunting to be like, "Okay, you're going to talk about like the plight of black people." Um, you have to cover everything. Like it's, it's a lot. <laughs> that was my next question for you is, is what's the burden of responsibility that you feel getting up on stage and talking about the issues that, that are your, your um, experiences, but that at the same time, um, people in the audience, especially if they're maybe not so tuned in, tapped in, turned on are thinking represent everybody who's black. What's what, what is that like? Uh, <clears throat> that took a little bit to like, in my opinion, to get through. Uh, the the preamble or the intention I said that these are my stories and stories like mine exist. There are stories that are not mine who don't exist and I automatically say this is not the Black experience, it's a Black experience that contributes to the mosaic because we are not a lot. But there are going to be some Black people who look at it and go, hey, I get that. I'm from mm-hmm. a small town. I understand some of those there's a lot of people who are like from Toronto, so they're not going to get some of the nuances uh, of where I was. My dad was a doctor, so growing up. Uh, well, a- I'll, I'll tell you one thing, um, uh, because you, you say this in your intro, we've got a clip uh, that, that uh, covers this. So hold that thought and let's jump in and play the clip right now, if we can, please. I'm one black guy, just one. And we are not a monolith. Yes, a lot of us do like anime. But that's because anime is dope Now I have this platform. I have the ears of a wider audience. Do I do the responsible thing and talk about the totality of the Black experience? I have the attention, but how much can I cover? Wait, who am I to do such a thing? How relatable am I? I'm Canadian. I am the first child of immigrant parents. My dad was a doctor, a damn good doctor. We had a nice house. We had a foyer. That's white people. We lived in a small border town, American influence, but not truly urban. This is my speaking voice. It's a clean blend of Banks and Huxtable. Maybe I have an inauthentic POV of the black experience, but then I think back to some of the comments I heard growing up. This is a street ball from a basketball coach. Have you thought about changing your name? From a guidance counselor when I talked about my troubles landing a part-time job. Let me see your ID. From an officer in Young Dundas Square. Somewhere in my story, there's our story. From Yawatua is one of the good ones uh, playing right now at Toronto Fringe Festival through to July 31st. Of course, the festival is an online experience this year and go to uh, their website for more information on seeing this. Um, yeah, what does the title uh, suggest? What is the meaning of one of the good ones? One of the good ones is uh, a common trope is like uh, for the model minority that, that I'm turning on its face. So like usually when you hear or someone's hearing it, uh, it is not the most sincere of uh, compliments. They're, oh, you're just, you're one of the good ones. Uh, which is something I heard that I really wanted to kind of turn on its head because I'm going to be like, we're going to call people out by name and by position and just like not be that model minority. So I wanted to turn around that phrase. 
I had a sickening feeling in my stomach. That was the answer. <laughs> wow. Uh, what is uh, your hope for audiences um, that see this? And um, is your hope that more white audiences see this than maybe people who can relate already? I really, I want everyone to see it. Uh, no, I really do want a bunch of white audiences to see it. Uh, a bunch of white people to really see it. The hope is to like kind of have people think twice about like how they conduct themselves in the workplace and see like people around. Uh, also to realize that like some of these things may seem subtle and some people might be like, oh, I did something like that. It wasn't that bad. Uh, to realize that some people are just biting their tongues around them. Uh, and hopefully some people I know growing up will see it because I have some childhood friends who would who instantly remember some of those stories. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping for some of that, uh, but I'm hoping people just kind of take a second uh, to realize like what it is to be an ally and be around people and what more they can do. Like, I'm not asking for people to like, you know, start donating money and start marching, but I am asking people to like, take a beat when you have a coworker or take a beat when you see a resume come on your desk or when you're promoting people, like who are you like giving an extra nudge to to see go up the pipeline or for people like in the case of like one of my advertising former employees, you made a promise about like, working with me and building my career, like keeping those promises to build those careers. So if you're talking about being, you know, a stronger ally, we're diversifying, diversifying on all levels, like all through diversifying all levels. Like I'm not saying that any of these things can be solved in a day, but I am saying that they are solved. Do you feel like the, what your desires are, are coming into play already in broader society since the sort of what I feel is a momentum that we've been seeing happen uh, with Black Lives Matters? And uh, um, do you feel that? I feel like the ones, the, the roles and the positions that are more uh, public facing, your actors on TV. Yeah. You know, the, the characters that we see, the TV roles, the stuff that we can see, the promoting, the big promotions or big hires that can be put in the advertising trades, those ones we're seeing. What we're not seeing is kind of like the nuanced, smaller ones, the writers in the writer's room, especially in Canadian TV. Uh, we're not seeing like the promotions of the juniors that are already in certain places. Like if we have a junior at a PR firm here in the city, I don't see them just like moving up like a star um, mm. employee. Like those are the ones that like really matter, like that are deep, that hit close to home. The big flashy ones, they're really good, but they don't solve all the problems and they don't change the culture within like they should. Really thoughtful point to end on. Comic Yawatua is on stage through July 31st here in Toronto or online at our renowned Toronto fin Fringe Festival. Uh, and his show is one of the good ones still to come. Guys, have you got a close friend, a pal in your life? One in five of you do not, leading to a loneliness epidemic. What does that mean? We're, we'll find out next. And we'll also find out what rotational dating is all about. I want to know if it hurts or not. Yawatua, thanks for coming to the show. You've got the Sean Proust Show here on Sirius XM Canada Talks, channel 167. We'll be right back. You were wonderfully made, marvelous, amorous, glorious, victorious.
Welcome back to the Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Here's Sean Prue. Here I am, and I'm glad you're here. Let's go to the States now, where according to the results of the American Perspective Survey conducted by the Survey Center on American Life, one in five men do not have a close friend in their life. And it kind of shocks me. It leads to a loneliness epidemic. Um, It's jumped five times since 1995 from 3% to 15%, according to findings. A friend of the show, Dr. Carol Lieberman, is here to give us an understanding of what that is all about. This is sad news, Carol. Yes, it's very sad news, Um, especially, you know, we need each other more than ever these days, you know, so uh, you need a friend to turn to. And, you know, when we had 9-11, one of the things that got us out of it, well, I mean, we're still being affected by it, quite frankly, but one of the things that uh, helped us recover was the close friendships, was uh, social support, it's called, you know, in, in psychology or psychiatry, um, where you share with people your feelings and they share their feelings and you try to help each other. Social support is a key uh, factor in people becoming resilient and in helping people deal with their psychological problems. So, so as a psychiatrist, tell us what um, the definition of a friend is from your perspective. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, well, if a real friend is a friend who you could call on at three o'clock in the morning and tell them that you're in a mess and they would come out, get out of the under the covers and come in and help you. Um, yeah. A real friend might, if they have the means, might, you know, lend you their last dime. Um, Things Mm -hmm. like that. Someone who would sacrifice for you. So what's going on with guys and friends? It it strikes me uh, when I think about men and especially um, maybe more straight men that um, we've been talking a lot about things like toxic masculinity um, and the way in which men don't want, have been conditioned not to be emotional. The need of a friend is an emotional need and it's a softer need. Is is that part of what keeps men from being friends with men in, in increasing numbers? Or am I just making this up out of my ass? <laughs> <laughs> That's the BS show that we did before. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, I think that that's a part of it, but um, I think, you know, I mean, yes, there's the idea that you're supposed to be tough and, and not show that you need a friend. Um, yeah. But, you know, they have found that men make friends mostly or look for friends or connect with friends, mostly from activities, um, you know, like uh, liking the same thing. Sports, of course, is the uh, stereotypical thing to look at. Right. You know, men st- starting from being kids, that's how they make friends. Um, but so when so especially during the pandemic, uh, when we haven't been doing many activities, you know, there has been less of an opportunity to be places where you make friends, whereas women, it's not so much about being places, you know, pursuing the same activities. It's more about connecting on an emotional level, like uh, liking a quality in the woman mm-hmm. friend, feeling connected to a certain quality of them. So I, you know, people might be listening to this going, oh, what? Well, so what? Guys don't have friends, uh, but but this is about loneliness, and yeah. it may not seem detrimental 
on its own, but there's a study by the American Psychological Association that claims that the rate of young adults with suicidal thoughts or other suicide-related outcomes has increased by a shocking 47% in about 10 years. Uh, so this is what we're, we can we can um, be thinking of when loneliness comes into to the lives of of guys without friends. Yes, loneliness kills. Yeah, it kills. That's the simple uh, explanation or the simple fact. Um, in fact, before the pandemic, there were studies that showed that uh, that looked at loneliness. Uh, in various people and loneliness itself, you know, nothing to do with the pandemic, um, just loneliness that was shown to have psychological and physical effects. People got heart attacks more often if they were lonely. Um, they had other physical problems. I mean, it's basically stress from loneliness causing mm. the kinds of things that stress causes. And um, it really so, you know, it. And people, what they have found during the pandemic is that people have been having more trouble reaching out to friends um, that we 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 do feel uh, in lockdown. It's not just the pandemic. It's lockdown. Mm-hmm. We do feel kind of in a bubble and we do feel in a sense, oh, this is all the world is so crazy. We kind of go into ourselves and think, oh, I can't, can't deal with yeah. I can't deal with other people. I can't deal with the stress of, you know, their um their whining or their, uh, uh, you know, difficult personality or whatever it is. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy for that to deal yes. with people. I felt that. Yeah. I felt that um, during lockdown for sure. I we felt live in, that too. Yes. Did you? Yes. Yeah. I, I, you just couldn't bring, take anything else on. Um, <laughs> but we live in a world with um, where social media dominates. And you go onto someone's Facebook page and they've got 5,000 friends. We're talking about the definition of friends a little earlier. And I agree with you. Um, it's, it's somebody who shows up for you is, is what a real friend is. Um, but we call these people that we know on social media our friends as well. Um, are those Facebook friends on the same level of, of real friendships? Because there are guys listening to this going, oh, I've got a bunch of friends on Facebook. Um, that's not what we're talking about. Try calling them at three think. in the morning. Call, Try yeah. calling your friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they'll they'll um, post something. You know, they'll they'll <laughs> something back on Facebook. Oh, sorry, sleeping. <laughs> I'm in jail. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard, hard. Unfriend. Right? <laughs> Unfriend. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but we've been no. fooled a little bit with that word and 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 through social yes. media. Yes, that's right. Uh, it is such a superficial definition of friend, you know, really, it's uh, just stoking our egos uh, with the number of friends. And and it's making people not realize that there is such a void that they really do need friends in real life. And that um, there's uh, there are consequences if you don't have them. So we've talked about the the problem. What's the solution besides <laughs> like put down your phone for one thing? I guess, and stop going on talking to your quote unquote friends. But, but, but really like we've, we've got um, kind of an epidemic of loneliness going on. What do we do about it? Well, um, one thing that I decided to do, and it hasn't been a hundred percent successful yet, but I'm working (laughs) on it (laughs) is um, rather than kind of haphazardly, you know, counting on the friend calling you or counting on somehow coming in contact with them, even though we're, we're out of our homes less. um, I made a list (laughs) 
<laughs> no. <laughs> my friends I haven't, you know, been in touch with for a while. And my goal is to start from the top of the list and um, friends and family for that matter, you know, we can have family friends um, and to go down the list and every, you know, ideally every day to, to go to somebody on that list. We did it more easily at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, because that was, in fact, I was telling people about how you have to, you know, every day you should call three people. And I think people did that kind of thing more at the beginning, but as we've been worn down, you know, we're not doing it as much. You were saying F that I don't want to phone three people today. (laughs) That's right. So if you make a list, you you know, priorities and just try to reach out to one person. If it's not every day, then once a week, whatever you can do. I'm curious to know why some of this hasn't worked out for you. (laughs) (laughs) You got to spill. You can't just tease us. (laughs) What went Uh, wrong? I'll tell you. Um, And I think that other people are facing this. um, That, you know, the, the longer you wait. This this is really important. The longer you wait in between phone calls or in between seeing them, I mean, of course, seeing has been harder, but between phone calls or emails or Zoom, the longer you wait, the harder it is to reconnect. You start thinking to yourself, hmm, does that person really want to hear right. from me? Are I they angry you. that I haven't been in touch with them for so long? Yep. You know, are they going to not be nice to me when I reconnect? Because they'll think, where have you been? So... That's the thing, but you have to overcome it. I, I have started and I must say the people that I have who I have contacted have been very gracious and have been very happy to hear from me. What is your opening line? Because sometimes that's the tough place to start, isn't yes. it? When you're suggesting this is what do I say first? What is yes. what are you saying? Uh, an apology. I start ah. with saying I am so sorry that I haven't um, been in touch for <laughs> five years <laughs> That's it's not, it for a decade yeah, right. but remember me no it's not usually five years <laughs> but it just feels like that but um, very funny <laughs> i'm so sorry that i haven't been in touch with you in in quite a while or whatever um but you know i and then you just tell the truth of how this pandemic has been getting to you and, and, you know, and, and I miss you and, you know, and, and then you just go into what you've been doing. How have you been? And you know, that kind of stuff, man, let's bring these numbers down. We don't want a friendship recession anymore or an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, She's Carol Lieberman, American psychiatrist, and always so fun to have you come on the show. Thanks for your time today, Carol. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. After the break, we've got some rotational dating coming up. What is it? And does it hurt? That's the second time this hour I've made that joke. <laughs> Forgive me, I think I'm funny. Uh, you have the show pre show here on Sirius XM Canada Talks Channel 167, and we're glad you're here. Thanks, Carol. Welcome back to the Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks. Here's Sean Prue. Here I am. And if you're just joining us, you've missed uh, a lot of a good show, but you can always pick it up on SiriusXM's On Demand app. Just download that and hear us on demand. Or you can go to the Sean Prue Show's website, seanprue.com, and uh, hear the podcasts 
after the broadcasts. So we all know 2020 may uh, gave us a global pandemic, but it also induced something else. Did you know a lot of breakups in a recent report dating.com found that 67% of single users admitted to breaking up amid COVID-19, the most breakups both nationally and internationally in the last three years. Leading international relationship and dating expert Sammy Wonder is here. She teaches high-achieving, successful women a unique way to find their soulmate now that they've broken up with the old guy. It's called rotational dating, and I'm happy to welcome you to the show, Sammy. Hey, Sean. Tell us what rotational dating is. It sounds painful. (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like a lot of empowerment for me for the women who are tired of being test driven by men and never end up having the kind of commitment every woman deserves to have so rotational dating is all about keeping your options open having high standards in dating dating more than one man at the same time till you have a man who is willing and capable of giving to you the commitment you desire. Now, that commitment could look different for different women. For me, personally, I rotational dated all the way to the ring. I said, I am that not grand prize be... that women want so much. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. The ring. And who, and who are we to judge that, right? Like, I mean, it depends. It's different for every person. Some people say um, a commitment is enough. Exclusivity is enough. For some others, a ho- it could mean building a home together. For others, it could mean traveling the world together, having a yes. child together. I think everybody gets to define that. And I got to define that for myself. And I help women define what they want and then to really stick with it and to not settle for anything less than what they deserve. I want to go back to something you said, a, a term that I think I understand, um, test-driven. That mm-hmm. That is, um, let me see if I've got this right. You're in a relationship with a guy and he is maybe making some promises um, or is stringing you along a little bit. Nothing's really happening in terms of what you describe, exclusivity or the ring or making a life together. And then um, after it breaks up, you have wasted years of your life sometimes. Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. When you say test-driven? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So let's just, you know, for the sake of simplicity, talk about the ring engagement, because a lot of women would like to have that. They would like to get married. They would like to have a family. And a lot of the times, you know, you like a man, you start to see him, you rush into exclusivity, you sleep with him. And then over the next few months, when the honeymoon hormones start to die down, you start to see, oh, he doesn't... Those three months, right? It's three months of hormones, isn't it? Okay, great. So, and then you see, oh my God, he doesn't want to get married. Oh my God, he doesn't want kids. And you're in that equation now and you realize you're with the wrong person. Yeah, there might be chemistry, there might be attraction, but you are not on the same page when it comes to the long term. And this is why I tell women, it's so important that you take time before you get exclusive Mm -hmm. and that you don't jump into bed with the first person you like. You actually look at all the options that are available on the menu, so to speak, and you look at, you know, oh, you know, it's so, so often it's like, oh, I like vanilla and vanilla ice cream is the only flavor I've ever tried, right? what if I introduce you to chocolate and I introduce you to strawberry and now your palate starts to expand and you start to realize, oh my God, that also feels good. Oh, oh my God, that guy is not that hot, but he treats me really well. And we are really compatible at a very deep level with our values and what we want in the long run. So it's so important to not jump into exclusivity with the first man you like. 
but to actually play the field for a longer time, get to know men, take things slow, and go on what I call connection dates. So rotational dating is not about rotational sleeping. You don't have to sleep around with every man you you meet, but it's about getting to know men at a more deeper emotional level before you decide to jump into bed with them and create something more real. Um, And that's something that has longevity. Let's play a game. Let's have a case study. I'm going to use um, uh, the real life story of a girlfriend of mine whose name I will not mention, who goes online and um, sort of whittles down her choices, um, gets together with one and starts to form bonds in a relationship and, and, and off it goes and dreaming of a future together. What would she do differently? How does she rotational date? Okay, great question. So the way I do this with my clients, and I work with really smart, intelligent, successful women who want to get results faster, is that you go online, you chat with many men, you accept dates from with all of them, because why not? And, um, and even if even if they're if they're not um, fulfilling the checklist, or even if they're not um, physically attractive. Okay. I mean, you can't spend the rest of your life with somebody you don't find physically attractive. And of course, you've got to have standards. Like rotational dating is about standards. So yes. of course, I'm, I'm assuming an abundance mindset here. I'm assuming there are so many amazing men out there, got which it. I truly, truly believe in. And I truly believe that women get to have choices, get to have their pick get to have, get to be in the center and have all these choices. That's what this is about. This is about empowering women in love because what happens is otherwise you get laser focused on that one person and it really brings up feelings of scarcity and being out of control if they're not into it as much as you are into them. So abundance mindset, she's going to go on dates with um, four or five men, whoever asks her out. And over time, over the next few weeks, what's going to happen is some men are just going to fizzle out by themselves. You don't have to do anything about it. They're not interested for whatever reason. And there'll be two, three men who are going to ask you out for a second date. So you say yes to a second date and you keep doing this. The funnel keeps getting smaller and new people keep getting added on the front end, which means you don't stop talking to more new men and you keep going on dates with men who are asking you out. Now, the common questions are, what if he sees me with another guy? So women are That's what I was going to ask. How honest do you want to be about or open do you want to be about the fact that you're seeing multiple people. Yeah. So I think, again, we have to stop associating dating with sleeping around because that's where the guilt comes in. And that's where, you know, it can be confused for being promiscuous. This is not about being promiscuous. This is actually a very dignified and empowered way to date. And I believe that we do not owe men any explanation unless explicitly asked because my belief system has taught me, my experience has taught me, the experience of thousands of my clients has taught me that men rotational date as well. I mean, I don't know of any man who says, I'm going to settle with that first absolutely. woman. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say that. That's so true. You've got to play the field and you've got to play the field without guilt and without feeling like a bad person. But of course, if you get confronted, if somebody openly asks you, are you seeing other people? you've got to be honest because yes. otherwise you're, you're a liar and that's not allowed. So you're going to say, yes, of course I'm saying own people. it. Of course, absolutely own it. Be proud of it. Right. And then 
it depends if sometimes men want to knock uh, knock you down really quickly they want to lock you down really quickly so they will ask for quick exclusivity three dates in do you want to be my girlfriend now you have to understand nobody really knows you after three dates they cannot possibly be in love with you after three dates and this is where women give all their power away by locking themselves down in quick exclusivity and they should take we, their time they should take their time because and we, we you touched on this in the first 90 days it's all hormones and making decisions and and making moves when that kind of um, chemical change is going on in your body, when you like somebody and they like you back, is a stupid thing to do. Sean, I have clients. You don't know the person. Absolutely not. And I have clients who've dated men. They've had electric connection, electric chemistry. Mm -hmm. These men have made big promises. And then they've suddenly said, I think we should slow down. We've gone too fast. Or they've said something like, you know, I think I love you, but like, I don't, I am not in love with you. Yeah. Yeah? And the women, they get their hearts broken and it's so important to take it slow. It's, I call it the enamored man banter, which is when a man meets a pretty sexy woman at the start, he's always really excited and he'll say all kinds of things like you're the only person you know who's made me feel this way and i really love you and i really want this to work and women fall for these words they fall for it my girlfriend (laughs) falls for it every time yeah and so i i teach my clients to recognize this enamored man banter to enjoy it i think it's 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 honest in the moment he probably feels it in the moment but it has no longevity to it the only way you can test the longevity of a real bond forming an emotional connection forming is over time which means you don't want to jump into quick exclusivity you want to date lots of people and when a man asks you to be his girlfriend like three dates, four dates down the line, you want to say, I'm loving getting to know you. This feels so good. And I'd love to take it slow. Right. And that's a really soft way of elongating this process of rotational dating, choosing your options, taking your time. Now, here's the big challenge I feel for women when they hear this concept the first time. We want to feel those electric feelings with a man. We want to feel intensely and we want to go all right in, right? That's Mm -hmm. what for many women represents love. But if you look back at your pattern of relationships, for most of my clients, when they've done that, either the guys ghosted on them, disappeared on them, or even if they ended up being in a relationship, it did not end in a good way, or it did not end in a forever commitment. And so rationality, use not diving in heart first, but diving in head first, you know, understanding that this is, you have to not lose your objectivity. Most people want to lose objectivity when they fall in love. But this is about understanding that yes, chemistry is important. Yes, attraction is important. But there's so much more that goes into creating a real relationship. And you cannot know those elements unless you have seen a person in action over a period of time. Who is he when he gets angry? How does he behave when things don't go his way? How does he treat his family? These are things you can't know on day three, day four, day five. And so you really have to take your time getting to know the man before you jump in and close all your options out and then waste another few years before you get back in the market. Yeah. And before you get back in the market. Yeah. This is really good information that you're you're giving us. I appreciate you. Um, Where can we find out more about what you do? Sure. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to connect with your audience, Sean. You can find me on sammywinder.com. The spelling is important. S-A-M-I-W-U-N-D-E-R. So it's the German word for wonder, wunder. 
W-U-N. Sammy Wonder teaches high-achieving, successful women a unique way to find their soulmate. You just heard all about it, rotational dating. You've got the Sean Proust Show right now. And um, guess what? We're out of time. I thank you uh, for listening. I thank all our guests for coming on the show today. And I will see you next weekend. Peace and love. Summer of Yes next weekend. We kick that off. My rebel